The year was 1997. Sci-fi action director Paul Verhoeven was in need of a hit after his previous project, the erotic thriller Showgirls, was torn to bits by critics and audiences alike. Going back to basics, Verhoeven teamed up with his writing partner, Ed Neumeyer, and pushed out an adaptation of Neumeyer's favorite novel as a kid. That book was Robert Heinlein's 1959 Starship Troopers, an award-winning piece of military science fiction about the seemingly endless conflict between the human race under the banner of the Federation and a race of insect aliens just called the Arachnids. Things were looking bright for the duo that brought Total Recall and Robocop to life. That was until Paul Verhoeven read the novel or in this case, attempted to read the novel. While reading through Heinlein's book, Verhoeven felt depressed and sick to his stomach. As a child in Nazi-occupied Netherlands, Verhoeven wasn't too keen on Heinlein's dogmatic pro-militarization takes throughout the story. He gave up reading after only getting a few chapters in, and decided to make a mockery of the work instead to twist and turn its jingoistic overtones and create what could easily be described as one part triumph of the will, one part halo combat evolved. Verhoeven's satiric take on Heinlein's source material has struck the ire of Heinlein loyalists from its November 7th, 1997 release to this very day. They weren't the only ones who took offense to Verhoeven's fascist gore fest. Scaring and shocking critics and audiences yet again, Starship Troopers was slowly dissected like those poor mobile infantry members on the planet Klandaku, running headfirst into the arachnid meat grinder. Most people didn't understand the joke at the time, but as of the last decade or so, AV Club op-eds and video essays the length of the film itself have shined a new light on Verhoeven's stark critique of military service, garnering a strong cult following after years of mockery and disgust. But before this happy ending, the Federation's endless battle with the arachnid menace was sliced and diced in theaters. Would you like to know more? Then gather some guts and score the death from above tattoos at the local tattoo parlor, bastard. Come on, you bastards! Don't you want to live forever? This is Starship Troopers, here on Bombed. How do you feel about Hiroshima? 
they were dead, they wouldn't say anything. That's yes, exactly. <laughs> Violence is the only answer. It's the true answer. It's the right answer. <laughs> Would you like to know more? <laughs> God, man, dude, I, 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 I love this movie. I don't. I don't it's know. It's so good. It's so like. It's so bad that that it's good, but it's also like, it's not bad enough where you're like, what did they? What were they thinking? Like you could look at that movie and be like, this could have been good if done differently. I could uh, even I could easily just make the argument that um, I I think that Starship Troopers is probably in my top five favorite uh, science fiction movies of all time. Probably. I, mean, I don't know about that. I'm gonna. I'm. I might. I might do that. I don't know. Do it's probably it. the most one of the most enjoyable sci-fi movies of all time. It's me. definitely the most brainless. It's yeah, de- it's definitely. It's one of those where you could pick it up at any part of the movie, and you are, will be like, "Okay, I'm good. I'm watching this now." Oh yeah, I mean, like it's it's definitely a party a party movie. It's yeah. definitely the type of film that you you pop up when you're like, yeah. "Oh, let's all get shit faced and." Yeah. And watch Starship like, let's Troopers. Let's all do a line and watch Starship Troopers. Like, that's what this. <laughs> let's all movie smoke is. peyote and and watch Casper Van Dien yeah. attempt to act for like an hour and a half. Jesus Christ! <laughs> they really tried to make him a thing. Nah, I mean it was the '90s. You know, it was an interesting yeah, in time. In the '90s, you just had to have somewhat of a good-looking face, and that's it. I mean, yeah. Well, yeah. I I guess I could just like get in. I mean. The brilliance of Starship Troopers is almost multi-level, and it's also simultaneously very one-dimensional. I don't, I don't know how they simultaneously made one of the most interesting political satires in at least the last twenty years, and also one of the the dumbest action movies uh, I've ever seen on the face of the planet. <laughs> it feels like he was just like, yo, what if we just threw Robocop in space? What would happen? Well, yeah, so yeah. That's what it felt like. Well, like, all right. So, like, Paul Verhoeven, I, I hesitate to say he's one of my favorite directors of all time. but He's, he's my, one of my favorite action slash sci-fi directors of all time, period. Yeah, well, yeah, he's got – he's but he he's made a lot of films. Like – you you and I know him for RoboCop. Well, yeah, but his everyone American knows him for are RoboCop. Mostly just action sci-fi, and like that's the big thing. <laughs> and showgirls, yeah, action show sci-fi's girl. and showgirls. Yeah, it's like that. Just in the middle. <laughs> it's 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 oh yeah, you got RoboCop. It's a different kind of action. You got Total Recall, <laughs> showgirls, and then What's, Starship Troopers. What I think is funny, so it's like yeah, you, like you said, it's RoboCop, Total Recall, uh, Starship Troopers, Showgirls. Those movies like. All, especially all four, those four specifically, it's like none of them are considered like, oh my god, such an amazing movie. But they're all movies that thirty years later, we're still talking about them like they think. Like Showgirls, people still like because that's the one for the girl for Saved by the Bell, right? Yep, that's, she's naked yep. in it. Yep. People still talk about her being naked in that movie. Like it's like those movies are just huge formative movies for so many people. It's crazy. It also like like Showgirls. I don't I. I need a weight on Showgirls because I need to make an episode about Showgirls. Yeah. I've never actually <laughs> but, seen it. I've just heard about it. Well, Showgirls is one of the – it's – I can save that for another time. But uh. um, Verhoeven, when getting into Starship Troopers, he was just getting out of the rut of Showgirls. Yeah. 
Oh, also, I forgot. Uh, Basic Instinct was him as well. Yes, and yeah. that's another huge movie. That that was another huge one for the '90s. The yeah. erotic thriller was. That's the that's the thing. If you look into Verhoeven's past, because he was directing stuff way back in 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 um, in the Netherlands yeah. where he's from. Uh, he was making a lot of really like groundbreaking cinema like the way that we revere guys like Kubrick here mm. and guys like David Lynch here he was their version like the like the Dutch version of Kubrick yeah. <laughs> basically and it's kind of funny how you see David Lynch because like you look at Dune and I'm like I could totally see Verhoeven making this exact same movie oh my you know? god like it's like you watch it and it's like this feels like Verhoeven like to the T but it wasn't. It was David Lynch. Like, yeah. Dude. Oh, that's a that's a, that Mike. You're naming more movies. I need to do episodes. <laughs> that was on my in second choice. If you ask me. Oh God, I would have cried. <laughs> I love David Lynch, and I can't even. I'm excited for the new one. <laughs> the new one looks tight. The new one looks really tight. But um, Verhoeven was just getting out of this rut of showgirls which kind of like fucked his entire career up mm. like people were like oh this you're a joke what are you doing and he's like i don't I, you know yeah. i want to make funny movie and <laughs> so he he and ed newmeyer who were working together on robocop ed newmeyer had a script called bug hunt at outpost nine and he originally had that as a working project, and then he started to notice that that project had a lot of similarities with a book that he used to read as a kid, Starship Troopers, mm. which he was a huge fan of and wanted to adapt. So he's like, yeah, why not? Let's do it. Hey, Paul, read the book. Now, <laughs> be mm. I have to bring this up. Because in order to talk about Starship Troopers, you have to talk about Starship Troopers. And in order to talk about Starship Troopers, you have to talk about Robert Heinlein and kind of understanding there's a lot of controversy with this movie. I think you're aware of it, like how yeah. this the, – the movie, like as we've both watched it, it's – to get spoiler alert here, um, it's a giant critique on fascist military countries, and it was a satire yeah. on specifically Germany, sp really, specifically the Nazis, <laughs> specifically militarized nations yeah. based around militarization and totalitarian yeah. governments. Let's make a satire of a government that hasn't existed in about fifty years. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, it, it was. Well, you also have to remember too, like. Um, Verhoeven came from, I believe, Norway. He was from the Netherlands, which was one of the first nations that got immediately taken up by the Nazi regime. So he he lived through that. Yeah, <laughs> he lived through his nation being like, yeah, we just love Hitler now. <laughs> and so he very much was very. Very left wing. You watch a lot of his movies. Doesn't seem like he's a lefty kind of guy. Yeah. Like I've watched RoboCop, and it's it's very yeah. it's very very like it's it's the kind of leftism that I love, yeah. where it's anti corporation. But God, I love seeing people blow up exactly. into gore piles. It's great. It's anarchy at its <laughs> finest. I feel it's like that movie. Art. <laughs> but um, yeah, he got a copy of the Robert Heinlein book. Now, did you ever read Heinlein? I didn't. I, I want to. I just never did. Had your parents read anything like that? No. Nah. Well, 
my I don't like my parents would read like the basic books that people read. That's uh, it. like like he was. Or, and my dad's very conservative, so he would wear, read a lot of like Tom Clancy and then a lot of the uh, Bill O'Reilly books. <laughs> Classic. All right, fun. Um, well, Heinlein. The, there's sort of like this new renaissance when criticizing the movie Starship Troopers, where they kind of resent Verhoeven for kind of making a joke out of the book, mm. and not only that, kind of making Heinlein into a villain, mm. where they say, nah, he was more of like, he was a very left-wing guy, and uh, Verhoeven just didn't give him a chance because he just read like the first three chapters and gave up. Mm-hmm. The book Starship Troopers is, it's an anti-war book about like space exploration and the militarization of 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 the world and sort of like just sort of like why are we constantly having these endless wars that don't go anywhere however it was a leftist book for like 19 19- 1959 <laughs> it was it was it was a it was it was leftist in the same way that like joe biden would be considered a communist leftist, back yeah. in 1964 like he's a it, it, it's yeah it's it's progressive because heinlein is very surprisingly so he was very inclusive on a lot of civil rights issues he was very um he was very like big into the sexual revolution. Mm. That was one of his big things. A lot oh, of his so stories. So the nude shower scene is written in the book. <laughs> get to the shower scene. <laughs> we will get to the shower scene. There is a story about the shower scene. But <laughs> um, Heinlein very much was a big proponent of like like unique sexual experiences. You could say LGBT. Um, expressions of of love and passion before it was a thing that being said um he was at worst like he had libertarian tendencies if anything very pull yourself by your bootstraps very much clean off your shoes and and get a job you dirty lazy hippie kind of shake the fist at the new generation kind of guy and heinlein unfortunately really loved the universe of Starship Troopers that he wrote in this book that Verhoeven read as a fascist militaristic government, which is pretty yikes. Uh, One of the big things that Heinlein believed was the military folks should be the only ones allowed to vote. That was a real thing that he believed hands down from so his wild. service the guy the guy's an interesting dude like he's very much like yeah no black people are cool but like nah go in those trenches boy and earn your yeah. keep <laughs> what the funniest thing about that is like i'm like how could you think like that and i've never voted once in my life I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like yeah i mean like it wouldn't have affected my life <laughs> like most of our most of our friends are very much like oh we gave up on politics <laughs> Most of my friends, at least, are like, I don't vote, or they vote for, like, Joe Jorgensen. Especially people <laughs> in our generation, like, our age group, rather, like, there there hasn't been a reason, because every single fucking time you vote, yeah. it's, like, one, it doesn't matter, and it's pick your poison. I'm sick of picking my poison. I'm sick of fucking picking the lesser of two evils. 
It's still evil. It's still poison. Fuck you. Yeah, I mean, yeah, granted. And I think Heinlein, he was very much desensitized because he helped out um, Upton Sinclair. Where of Upton Sinclair? I've heard the name. Yeah, he he wrote uh, The Jungle, which is one of the biggest, like, like proto-investigative journalist pieces um, about the meatpacking industry. Upton Sinclair... Dope motherfucker. But um, he tried to help out his campaign, and when Upton failed, I think it was presidential, or no, he was running for mayor and lost out. Mm. He got desensitized by the whole thing and kind of became more right-leaning, um, which is very interesting. But Heinlein, his book is actually, like, it's pretty influential. Like, outside of the movie Ver- that Verhoeven made... Um, I think the most prominent influence of Heinlein is uh, you've played Halo. (laughs) The exosuits in that book were directly inspiring Master Chief's existence. And a lot of the bugs and everything fighting the aliens, the the, the, the elites, all that. That was that straight Heinlein. Uh, Like the Bungie has made the claim that Starship Troopers was a major influence on their on their uh, video games. I think a few other people sort of picked influences from Starship Troopers, but Starship Troopers is considered one of the best sci-fi novels yeah. of the time. It's it's up there with, like, pick your poison. I don't, <laughs> I don't know, your Ender's Game, your freaking, Dune. your Dunes, like, it's up there in that, in that range. So, uh, Ed Neumeyer, who's Verhoeven's writing partner, he worked with him on RoboCop, one of the greatest action movies of all time. Oh, so good. <laughs> it's so beautiful. It's so good. That's one of those movies that, like, you should make the exception on how much money they made. It's a bad but good movie. I this podcast. Oh, my God, dude. I, I don't know because, like, no, RoboCop made a ton of money. That's what I'm saying. It made a crazy amount of money. And it's one of those movies where, like, maybe at the time the special effects were outrageous. You watch that movie, those special effects did not age well at all. Are you oh. kidding? I mean, okay, oh. so the stop motion stuff did it not age hard, well. Yeah. I will say – Stop motion, claymation. I have a soft spot for it because I'm like an old man at well, this point. Claymation's <laughs> one thing. I could I love like watching the old Rudolph and stuff like that. Yeah. But like in terms of like a live action movie with stop motion in it, it's just like, oh my god, what were you even thinking? Oh well, it was the eighties. Yeah. And you gotta also remember like, too. Like how much Coke did you do before this? I, I know it was a lot. Well, like, well I mean it's that, but also too, like you, you gotta also remember, like, we'll we'll get into it a little bit later when we get to the film. Mm-hmm. But there was no CGI in 1982. Yeah. <laughs> there was no CGI in the 80s. So, like, the best you could get, you want to make Ed 209, okay, you're you're going to have to use stop motion animation. You just have that. to. Have Jim Hansen make a fucking monster I, that's I mean, a robot. It's, 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 I feel like that could have been look, good. I love Ed 209. His stupid, goofy little, like, murder legs. I, I love, like, the nostalgia of it, but it was... That's one of the few things that was done way better in the the remake of RoboCop. I oh, don't get me started one of the on few RoboCop. things. I okay, so but Let's like get off RoboCop. We're what, what, go what, on what I was what I was trying to say though is like you look at like a lot of the dark humor that you see in RoboCop is sort of paralleled in oh, of Starship Troopers later on. You it, you could see it instantaneously. I think one of on, honestly one of the funniest scenes and this is going to be morbid as hell I apologize but that boardroom scene in RoboCop where they introduce Ed 209 yeah, and then the scanner breaks <laughs> and he just obliterates this poor like secretary yeah. and that's <laughs> just like the scene where the guy's helmet is like oh it's malfunctioning and then she just gets hit fucking right 
They're like, how do you stop this thing? As yeah. this this representative is just pieces of flesh. And, they're right. just, and they just and it's not even like the guy's dead on the counter, and they're like, oops, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it's it's witty stuff like that. It's like dark, morbid stuff like that that Verhoeven started to become known for. And a lot of Verhoeven stuff where like there's humor in there, but it's twisted and it's a little bit like uh, yikes. Um, I mean, Showgirls has a lot of it. Yeah. <laughs> I think Total Recall's one of his more serious films, but it but also even that, has a bit of it. Yeah. Um, and this. Is just shockful. It's straight. It's straight up a dark comedy. I I will say, Starship Troopers is. It's it's one of the best dark comedies. One of the best science fiction movies, and unironically, it is one of the best anti-war movies. Period. Yeah, and it's also one of the best satire movies of all time. It's it's a great satire. I I definitely say anti-war because like. A lot of the anti-war movies, like, you know, there's sort of, like, the two parallels with a lot of, like, military films. It's either, like, you're doing the hoorah, act of valor, like, basically just one giant military. Like, the type of thing that Starship Troopers is making fun of. Yeah. (laughs) And then you get anti-war movies that, while, yes, they're really, really great, um, are, number one, kind of preachy, and number two incredibly depressing (laughs) like insanely depressing like look i love full metal jacket as much as the next guy i'm not just randomly going you know what i really want to do today watch full metal jacket (laughs) that is in my opinion it's probably a good movie but it's one of the most unentertaining movies of all time that first half is great yeah once you get past that you're like what the fuck am i even watching this for it is a, it's a, it's misery porn. It is, it is like normie misery porn yeah. where like. It, I might get a lot of hate on this, but I'm not a fan of Kubrick. I really am not. I could, I could, the visual side of it, big fan of. In terms of his actual movies, yeah. I could do without. I think, yeah, I think that a lot of critical theorists are kicking in high gear to be like, yeah, no, uh, maybe he was kind of a shithead. <laughs> um, maybe his his method of making movies was kind of not great. I th- Like, you can hear horror stories about The Shining. You can hear horror stories oh, yeah, about yeah. Clockwork Orange, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's one of the greatest performances of all time. I don't it, care what anyone says. It's it's a great film, um, but Jesus Christ, poor Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, but, <laughs> poor that, Malcolm McDowell. but in my opinion, that is probably the greatest acting performance in the 70s, and he doesn't get recognition does. Uh, well, yeah, Malcolm kind of ruined Well, because after that, he did Caligula. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then Cat People. He was just in random fucking things, and that's it. And he was in Tank Girl. That's another one I uh, got to do. I just, we just named like five films I've either <laughs> have to do for the podcast or have done for the podcast. Oh, God. So Heinlein writes his book. Ed Newmeyer, who was writing his script, loved the Starship Troopers book. He said, hey, Paul, uh, do you want to read this book and do this project with me? And Verhoeven's like, yeah, sure. Why not? That sounds really great. Unfortunately... Paul Verhoeven only read two chapters and stopped reading the book. <laughs> He's he actually has a quote. I have a quote here 
uh, from uh, Verhoeven himself. He said, uh, I read the first few chapters but got bored and depressed. <laughs> That's an exact quote. He also claimed that it was a very right-wing book. So he's like, I'm I'm just not going to – I'm sorry, Ed. And so he bullied Ed into telling him the entire rest of the book and – as they were working on the script, that's when the idea kind of formulated as to be like, you know what? Fuck doing an actual adaptation. <laughs> Fuck actually doing an, an actual adaptation. Why bother? Let's just make fun of this shit. And that's when they went from making a really deep science fiction movie to Starship Troopers. <laughs> Uh, so when was the first time you saw Starship Troopers? First time was after prom, and it was the first time I ever smoked weed. Yeah? Because <laughs> I was smoking. So one of my friends, his older sister's boyfriend and his best friend came with us, and his older sister. Yeah. And they loved the movie because they were older and like that. They were into that. I'd never even heard of the movie before that. Oh, yeah. And we were all high, and they were like, that's why it's Starship Troopers. And they put that shit on, and I was blown away. <laughs> blown away. Blown away. I was high as a kite, and I'm just, like, fucking loving every second of it. <laughs> like, Casper Van Diem's a man. He's badass. Casper Van a boy. <laughs> what a champ. Dude, Jake Busey's cool as fuck. Oh, <laughs> and Denise Richards could get some. That's all and, I thought. And, and then you watched it later, and you're like, man, can... Oh, God. I wish <laughs> uh, if they could just ma- cast someone who could read some lines. Why is well, there? that's what, like 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 I think Jake Busey could stay in his part. Oh, I think no. he plays. All oh right. no, he is one of the worst parts of this See, movie. I think, but I think he just has that star quality to him. It's same thing like his dad. His dad, it's like outside of Buddy Holly, name me one performance he's done that's been people like. Of, like, but it's so entertaining. Busey? Yeah. Um, mm. he's just so entertaining and he's so much like star quality to him. <laughs> he, yeah. Like he was huge in the seventies. Jake Busey was re- not Jake Busey. Uh, Gary Busey was huge in the late seventies and like the early, like as like yeah. a young, like as a young actor. Well, he, he made the Buddy Holly movie. He got nominated for the Oscar for that. And then yeah. after that, it was just like he was in a lot of shit, but nothing like that was like, oh my god, what a great performance he put on. It was just like, oh, Gary Busey was just he did this really good movie him. called Carney. Yeah. I remember that he was and in. Then this... He made Predator Two. <laughs> and then he, hey, don't diss Predator Two. <laughs> Predator Two is great. And then he did. Uh, what was what was the movie where he turned into a dog? It was like a kid's film. I think it was called Finch. I don't remember. I was just thinking of the one that Tim Allen's in. How many fucking movies in there is there an old man turns into a fucking dog? Uh, well, I know that there's the Kevin Spacey cat one where he turns oh, into yeah, a cat. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Nine Lives. That, that's one that I remember. But um, I don't remember much about uh, much yeah, to do about I mean, nothing. like, okay, you could even argue against that. But I think him, I think the guy that says he's going to be a writer, I think he's all right in his part. And I think the guy who plays Xander isn't bad either. Like, he is, they're, like, they are livable. Like, you can yeah. deal with them three. Everyone else, it's it's pretty hard. Well, the, I, the idea of it, I mean, if you're going in, if you're going in as, like, a film connoisseur, uh, you're going to hate everybody oh, in yeah. this movie. You're going to be like, why didn't Verhoeven, yeah. like, Ironside and uh, Clancy Brown, oh, yeah, they yeah. are great. Mr. Krabs is phenomenal in this they movie. They are dude. golden. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. Even Hank from Breaking Bad is pretty dope in this movie, too. Uh, Hank, 
He's in there for like a five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> but I saw him, I was like, oh shit, Hank. You know what you know what tripped me out when I was doing research? You know who else is in it? Um you ever watch CSI? Yeah. OG CSI. You know the 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 guy who runs the autopsy group? He runs the morgue. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The the old man. Yeah. He's the guy with no legs shaking Casper Van Dien's Are hand. Are you sure that's him? No, straight up. Yeah. Really? The guy with like he's like the mobile infantry yeah. made me the man that I I, yep. I didn't realize it was he, him. in 19 I believe it was 1978. He got into a car accident, lost both his legs. Jesus. And so that was a shoot. That wasn't like, oh, yeah. they had special effects. He just has no legs. But doesn't he walk around in CSI? Uh, yeah, with so a cane was... because he has uh, prosthetics underneath. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know either. I was yeah. like, wait, didn't he? Didn't that guy's he a do great this? actor? Uh-huh. Didn't realize it's... he was fucking. How many seasons of that show? Didn't realize he had fake legs. Mind <laughs> blown. My my mind was blown at three in the morning. <laughs> doing, doing, I was like, what? The there was what? a couple other people that are in it that are like, like Amy Smart's in it for like two seconds, and she's like, she just friends. This is her big movie that she's in. But a couple yeah. of those like early two thousands like rom-coms she's in uh blanche Devereaux from the golden girls yeah, she's, she's in it for she's, two seconds she's in it as the blind biology yeah. teacher during paul verhoven's favorite scene yeah. which is the bug autopsy scene that scene Richard i i literally wrote some i think i wrote in notes why i was like why aren't they wearing gloves or lab coats right now like and they're just like and it, all they put on were like fucking goggles. That's all they put on for this autopsy of this book. Because Mike, you gotta, you gotta. If you're gonna be a rough and tumble mobile infantry yeah. warrior, you have to do it with your bare hands. You gotta yeah. tear the heart right out of the bug. The bug's not even human. <laughs> let me let me pitch this idea of what I was thinking while I was watching this. I was yeah, like, go for it. Instead of Top Gun, that same exact cast, but with Verheven as a director and writer. Yeah. Tell me this movie isn't one of the greatest sci-fi movies of all time. But Space Top Gun? Yeah, essentially. But it's that guy. Like, Do you mean Wing like, Commander? You want to make Wing Commander yeah. with... But like, think, like Tom another Cruise. movie we have to cover for yeah. this podcast. Tell me Tom Cruise wouldn't be perfect as Rico. I feel like that would be great. Or you could put Kilmer in that role. Kilmer would be great. Fair. And Kilmer could be awesome as fucking Xander. Fair. You know, like, I, you put all these pieces, and I'm just like, holy shit. I was like, well, if you it, did that, and that, all those are phenomenal actors. If it was the 19, oh, my God. And oh, they're all Val fucking Kilmer ridiculously good-looking on top of that, if that, you still want to go that route. Val Kilmer as Carl, the, the Neil Patrick Harris role. Val Kim- do that uh, too. Yeah, fair. Val Kilmer can play every role and just put a different. Uh, Val Kilmer is the most underappreciated actor of all time. I don't care what anyone says. I really I fucking love Val. Kilmer. Well, I mean, look, Val. Kilmer, Val Kilmer's- I watched Doors for the first, like for, for like for like the fifth or fifth or sixth time, but the first time in years, a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago. And I, ever since I've just been on hooked on him, but I love all of his movies, dude. Yeah, even him as Batman, I was like, he just got a shit script. He could have, it could have been so good. Really? Yeah. yeah. I still, that, that's one of my big things. I was like, that movie is horrible. But if he had a better script, he could have been a phenomenal Batman. I don't care. But him in Tombstone's great. Him in The Doors is awesome. Oh, He's the yeah. only good part of The Doors. Really, him in, him in Tombstone is amazing. Yeah, and that's what everyone there. loves. And yeah. do you ever see Kiss Kiss Bang Bang? Kiss Kiss Bang Bang He's is great. He's great in that. He what? fucking, a bunch of his movies, he's really yeah. good in. And it's just like, he just made a lot of shit movies. Oh, it, it, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't that he made a lot of shit movies. It uh, honestly is one of those things of like uh, your worst enemy is yourself, and he was kind of like yeah, he had a lot of issues. He had a huge fucking prima donna ego that killed his career 
by the 2000s people were like we're not dealing with this shit anymore and like the box office returns were getting lower and lower so he wasn't getting booked anywhere and then by the time he cleaned his act up throat cancer (laughs) (laughs) throat cancer it's um it's a bit heartbreaking but um no actually speaking of the devil neil patrick harris (laughs) he's probably the best actor in this movie (laughs) every day federal scientists are looking for new ways to kill bugs your basic arachnid warrior isn't too smart, but you can blow off a limb. And it's still 86% combat effective. Here's a tip. Aim for the nerve stem and put it down for good. Would you like to know more? Patrick Harris starting out as like this smarmy like lame. Well, you know, I'm uh, the smart friend, but you know, army one... genius. Like it makes no sense that role. Like to me, every time I see that role, I'm just like, oh, so you've just met autistic people in your life. Like that. <laughs> that's what I view these rules as, though. Like at the time, I didn't see it, but now I'm like, now especially doing stand up where I know so many autistic people, I'm just like, wow, these are all just autistic kids. <laughs> no, no, straight up. I think that. Well, the whole thing with. Okay, we might as well get. Oh, we might as well get into the plot about. So, for those who haven't watched Starship Troopers, <laughs> summary is it's kind of like a two-hour space propaganda movie about this guy Johnny Rico, who is played by Casper Van Dien, who is um trying. He is trying. Uh, <laughs> he did his best effort, and it just uh, was not a good effort. Well, 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 no, I think the 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 reason why Verhoeven has stated in multiple interviews, he hasn't said it like publicly, but he said in multiple interviews that he purposely seeked bad actors, specifically television pretty boy actors like Casper Van Dien, uh, Dookie Hauser, as much as we love Neil Patrick yeah, Harris, Dookie his Hauser legacy at the, at the time was Dookie Hauser, uh, Denise Richards, yeah. God bless her, <laughs> God bless her, she cannot read a goddamn line to save uh, She's one of the God worst actresses her. of all time. She, oh my God, like that's, that's a relic of like, she was huge in between the time periods of 1996 and 2001, and that is it. Yeah. Like there well, then was, she married Charlie Sheen, and then she kind of just left the 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 whole scene so, yeah. entirely. Yeah, like she was she was like I she was a huge name, and then just like fell off the face of the planet. Like right. she was in a Bond movie, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's like Verhoeven has stated multiple times that originally he wanted like super young actors, like kids that were legit. 18 years old and not Casper not Van 30 not Casper Van Dien's 29 year old almost well, 30. A, he looks I, 32 <laughs> so he like you could fool me with him a little bit you yeah. can fool me like him Denise Richards you can fool me a little bit with the I cannot age. believe Xander is in high school that's what I was gonna say I was like <laughs> once they got to the space football fucking rugby soccer game whatever the fuck that was oh the arena football the yeah. space arena football <laughs> once you get to that and you show me xander i'm like that man is 40 like i was the he's he looks old well he is older than i am right now but he also looks so much older like i was like i was shocked by it i was like, you could find guys that could act that around that age and they look younger dude oh absolutely and my other thing is like around that time there was so many of that type of actor that were better like that you're like you're just looking for a pretty guy that's on tv fucking yeah james vanderbeek could play fucking rico then james vanderbeek well actually james vanderbeek could have played 
Xander. Him he, too. You could have had him and Paul Walker. Like those would have been two amazing people to have as your two top guys. Well, well on the topic of uh, Johnny Rico, uh, there were a few names th- floating around for Johnny Rico's role. Are you ready, ready for some of these? All right. So Matt Damon Imagine actually Matt Damon. auditioned for the role. It's because he it. didn't have anything yet at that time. I mean, you, yeah, it, it was like Goodwill really Hunting until like ninety nine, ninety eight. When was Goodwill Hunting? Ninety eight. I think it was the next year. Uh, it, but without Goodwill Hunting, like it, he wouldn't have been anything until Saving Private Ryan. The only reason they yeah. they casted him in Saving Private Ryan because he was an unknown guy, and then Goodwill Hunting came out and they were like, "Fuck, we're gonna keep the guy." Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, true. But like Matt Damon, man, like imagine that. <laughs> imagine he would have gave his all because he's in so many shit movies that he's also phenomenal in that it's like he would have at least given a phenomenal performance in this crap movie. Oh, yeah. Like, know, like, like great wall Matt Damon would have been sick. Yeah. Like we bought a zoo Matt Damon would have been perfect in <laughs> we this. We bought a zoo. I <laughs> forgot that was <laughs> Oh, God. Uh, Mark Wahlberg was considered. Marky yeah. Mark. That was pre-good acting Marky Mark. Well, th- no, that was um nine, uh, 97 was the same year as Boogie Nights. Oh, we're, I so, thought it was later, Brigitte. So this was, I thought it was 98. I thought it was 98, I 99. thought it was like at least 2000. You know what? That's what I initial thought. But, but um, I, th- it was 97, and I think it didn't get a wider release until 98. Mm. I might be wrong on that. I might just be an idiot on that. <laughs> but... Uh, I believe that was the yeah. case because Mark Wahlberg in Boogie Nights is great, uh, yeah. but um, he is another guy that a lot of people shit on. But I think he's a great actor. I think he, he does what he's given. I th- I think he's very much like he he knows how to play one type of guy or like two types yeah. of guys, and that is either like the asshole who's trying his best to not be an asshole or the asshole, specifically yeah. the Southie asshole. I kind of view <laughs> the him Southie as like, Boston asshole. <laughs> I kind of view him as like, obviously he's not the tier of actor this guy is, but like kind of like a Pacino where he like, Pacino plays the same guy in everything he's in, but he just plays it so well. Whereas <sighs> Wahlberg plays the same guy in every movie, just not, not really well, just not as well as Pacino does. Oh, bro, Does that make sense? Bro, you just gave a lot of praise to Mark Wahlberg right there. I I don't think... A lot of people give Pacino more praise than he deserves. I don't... In my opinion. I do not think that there is a happening in Pacino's career. Can you think of a happening? Like a shit, shit movie? Like a, like a movie that's... Like, I'm not counting Jack and Jill. I'm right. not counting Jack and Jill. I was going to say, not what's, a thing. Uh, Dick Tracy, even though he got nominated for the Oscar for that... He's fucking horrible. That whole movie's horrible. Uh, yeah, fair. I mean, fair, but... Uh, I feel like... After that ridiculous run he has in the early 70s, where it's The Godfather 1 and 2, yeah. Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon. Yep. And didn't he have another one right then that was a huge movie? In this? I mean, like, he does, he does this movie Crusade, which screws up his career until, like, 82, yeah, he's not that, but until like, Scarface. So, yeah, those are phenomenal. Then he has Scarface, which I'd argue he's entertaining in it. But he's not like good he's in not Scarface. Great, but like he's also like you could tell this is an Italian guy playing a Cuban character. I feel like where it's like the like those movies the in the seventies with like Serpico, Dog Day Afternoon, the two Godfather movies, phenomenal movies. He's phenomenal in them. After that, it's like okay, Scarface, Heat. Okay, what else? Like realistically, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even give. Uh, well, uh, the de- uh, he plays, Devil's Advocate. He plays. He's a good part in that. Yeah, but it's not a good movie either. I mean, <laughs> you um, know? Uh, Insomnia 
You ever see Insomnia? I've heard. I think I've seen it, but yeah. I just don't remember. That's what it's uh, about. that's that's one of the forgotten Christopher yeah. Nolan movies where he plays like it's it's a. Oh yeah, that's the one like between Memento and. Yeah, Dark that's Knight, right? that's uh, uh him and begins. him and Robin Williams. That's the yeah. that's the um, but but it's, it's like. Al Pacino, we all know him as like, hey, oh, like not that, hey, oh, yeah, oh, oh, great ass, yeah. <laughs> like that's where we know Pacino. Where yeah. it's like Wahlberg, I feel like in that is in that vein, just not as good of an actor. To- oh, oh, look, I, I can go on a rant about yeah. Mark Wahlberg. Uh, there were a few other actors in the in the queue. Um, I think the most interesting out of all of them would have been uh, Keanu Reeves. Keanu Ooh. Reeves was considered for Johnny Rico. He would have been awesome. Yeah, him bringing uh, his character from. Point Break into this would have been great. It would have been sick, and I think it would have made more sense too because he, to me, that's his, his the way he was in the '90s. That was a California dude. Casper Van Diem does not play a dude that's living in Buenos Aires. Well, that all right. So <laughs> I don't know if they were going to get. I don't know if they were gonna get Bill and Ted, Keanu Reeves, no, or if but they, they were going got to point get. Break. Keanu Reeves, probably. I don't, uh, I don't think that... Um, but even then, I don't think that would have been, like, a nice fit. I think if... It, it probably was, wouldn't have been a great fit, but it and, probably would have worked. Even, like, speed Keanu Reeves. Like, I yeah. thought Keanu Reeves as a choice would have been interesting because, actually, in the book uh, Starship Troopers, uh, Johnny Rico is actually named Juan Rico, who's a Filipino. Oh, yeah. Yeah, great. and... and uh, Keanu Reeves is, I think, I forget. He's Korean and like yeah. Filipino. Korean, yeah. So he's like he's and mostly Hawaiian, I think. Too. Yeah. And so instead, they went with Casper Van Dien, and <laughs> and Casper always was like wondering why he was cast for it, and. I, I think Verhoeven didn't want to say, look, buddy, I'm sorry, you're bad at acting. I just... (laughs) But um, I think also, too, Verhoeven was kind of... There could be a nice little through line, because if you noticed, outside of Xander, right? Outside of Xander, and then we get to um, Sugar Watkins later, Mm. who's a part of the Roughnecks, most of, like, the main actors... Blonde haired, blue eyed, (laughs) white Aryan. uh, You see a pattern. (laughs) (laughs) It's Nazi. That's all. Just Nazi. Yeah, it's it's the um, it's the go through with the criticism of totalitarian, you know, fascist regimes, all the way down to like that intro, like after the most basic of basic title cards. I've seen in my life. You get uh, what Verhoeven has stated is a shot-for-shot adaptation of the intro to The Triumph of the Wills. That's the infamous uh, Nazi propaganda film, uh, Triumph of the Wills. Young people from all over the globe are joining up to fight for the future. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part. I'm doing my part, too. (laughs) <laughs> They're doing their part. Are you? Join the mobile infantry and save the world. Service guarantees citizenship. Which is uh, Lenny Riefenstahl. Um, it's the film that it made the Nazis quote-unquote look cool. I'm not saying they looked cool. Yeah. I'm just saying that's why so well, many Well, that's what propaganda does. It propaganda. makes it... Yeah show you like oh this is cool i want to be a part of this when it's the exact opposite it's the it's the most notorious propaganda movie of all time yeah Yeah. is what i'm trying to say and 
Verhoeven takes a lot of that stuff in here, and it's it's almost bashing you in the face. Yeah. The, the the like you're not supposed to like these people. These are Nazis. These are Nazis. Yeah. And the funniest thing to me is that it's so blatant, and yet every single actor on set didn't realize what they were making yeah. until. That sequence when uh, Casper Van Dien, uh, after they get the ambush at the outpost and they come back and Dookie Hauser walks in in a literal Gestapo outfit, (laughs) they were like, oh, (laughs) oh, that makes sense. (laughs) Everyone else was just like, oh, it's a Starship Troopers movie. We're just doing Starship Troopers. (laughs) Starship Troopers, yeah. Hey, Dookie, what the hell are you wearing? It's actually they they coined Dookie Hauser as Dookie Himmler on set. That's an actual thing that they did. So the story, I guess the story is Johnny Rico is this high school kid who lives in Buenos Aires. Allegedly high school kid. Allegedly. (laughs) allegedly, He's a 37-year-old high school kid. (laughs) He got left back a lot. You can tell by the 35% he got in the math class. Who who hits on probably the closest to high school age 20-year-old Denise Richards. (laughs) Getting hit on by Dizzy, who is... 29 year old I don't remember it's the more than hit name. on she's like stalking she's, she's infatuated staring at him at every corner it's real creepy honestly like I understand why he was like nah I'm not messing with Dizzy like, it, is, it, it made is. sense speaking of Dizzy imagine signing up for the army just for some dick like, just imagine that. Well, Rico signed up for some... Well, for his wife, for his woman. Because he... <laughs> for Denise Richards. Because that's his first love or whatever. Because he was like, he was like, we're going to get married one day. And, like, we need to both do this together and we yeah. get married. Whereas her, she was just like, I want to fuck the shit out of Rico. And I honestly, too, honestly, too, De- uh, Dina Myers, who plays Dizzy, probably one of the better characters yeah, in the movie. Bad. She's great. At she's all. great in the movie. And I, I know um, before this episode came out or before I you you came up to me to be like, let's talk about Starship Troopers. The first time I thought about going back to Starship Troopers was a Red Letter Media video. And they dissected. I think the, the one of the biggest plot threads outside of just the fascism and that is one of the saddest love triangles on the face of cinema history. <laughs> it's up there. Because you have Johnny Rico, who's obsessed with Carmen, who's his girlfriend in high school, played by Denise Richards, who does not give a fuck about him. <laughs> oh, I, I literally wrote in my notes, Denise Richards is a hoe. no she's a career woman Mike (laughs) she's a career woman but even like when they're at the football game she was like I'm gonna fuck the shit out of Xander man like that's all she was thinking you know it she was like like Johnny Rico's like we're gonna have this great life together we're gonna be so amazing and she's like I'm gonna be a pilot (laughs) I'm gonna be a pilot we're just gonna I'm just gonna live my life beyond this life it's gonna be great and she basically bullies Johnny Rico into joining the military and then breaks up with him <laughs> after having yeah. him because he's an he's an absolute idiot. He gets like the lowest test scores ever. <laughs> Can we talk about how he's an absolute idiot? And his dad, when he tells him that he's going to join the army, his dad was like, "No, you're going to Harvard." <laughs> and also, how many people in this movie were going to Harvard? There was the one dude that oh, was in the shower scene. He's the one that I think the first one that gets killed. In the Star first one Stewart. that gets killed at uh, the, the invasion. Fight scene. And he's just like. 
I'm, I was going to go to Harvard, but it's expensive. And I'm just like, why is everyone going to Harvard? Well, uh, I was like, this guy had a 35 in math. He's not getting into Harvard. Well, that's the like, idea of the that's the idea of the book is that like you can go and do whatever you want if you don't want to sign up for the military, but you don't get the right to vote and you're not considered a citizen yeah. unless you join the military. So you know, every single one of these people is joining the fucking military when like 80 percent of your country is joining the military. Oh, Harvard's gonna have a few open spots, you know. <laughs> like Harvard's gonna be like, <laughs> you know, they're gonna, there's gonna be some more people out there. And so, also too, um, my understanding is that Rico was a uber rich kid. Like they, he comes oh, yeah, from a rich family. If you live in Buenos Aires in the '90s, you're doing pretty well. You're doing all right, Buenos yeah. Aires. And well, so, I mean, until the asteroid <laughs> comes. Then you're not doing so well. <laughs> then you're not doing too hot. And so Johnny Rico in high school, he has his girlfriend Carmen, who does not give a shit about him. Dizzy, who wants to marry him, and like maybe if he dies, like taxidermy him and have him forever. He, she loves him, and he's like, "Why are you bothering me, Diz? I really don't Dizzy want you around." Dizzy was dripping for Rico. Like that's my note about Dizzy. <laughs> She's and, just dripping for him. And Carmen. Carmen wanted to be with Xander because they both had stuff in common. Like you They know, both like to fly planes. They both like to fly planes. What were they flying in those planes? Because the infantry wasn't <laughs> with them. Was it just those three people on that giant spaceship? That is a no. There was, was a, it was just a captain and them two, and that's it, right? There was a crew. There was a crew there. Although Who was I, on the crew? There was a, a Why few are people, they needed? A few extra people on the crew. <laughs> <laughs> Although one of my, fav- my favorite sequences during those flight missions is when they're, they're about to kiss, and then and an asteroid shows up, yeah. and they're like, oh, we got to dodge it. And they dodge it, take out an entire section of the plane, yeah. possibly filled with people, the communication yeah. bay, and then they come back. The, yeah, all the crew comes there. in, and they're like, contact the communication bay. Communication bay has been taken down. She's like, well, I know it could have been worse if it wasn't for one of the best piloting teams I ever had. And it's like, you just killed two dozen uh, people. <laughs> and also, they break glass and press a button. What was that for? Like, she was like extreme fucking uh, maneuvering or whatever. I believe it was like, um, I believe they were in like coast mode, like like cruise control mode, just like locking yeah, onto their positions. Yeah, but can you just positions. like press a button and all of a sudden we're evading? Like, it's like... What did it specifically do? Like, it boosted the engine, sure. There are a lot of things in this military that make no sense, Mike. Like, let's let's get to, like, let's, let's, cards on the table here. The sequence where Ace gets his hand stabbed by Clancy Brown and Jake Busey, he made a very valid point. Why do you need knives in a nuke fight? <laughs> you forgot what Clancy Brown says. He goes, it's hard for you to press a button, but you don't have your hand. The arachnids don't even have hands! They have fucking d- d- legs! They're just legs and clampy monsters! And they use those legs to press buttons. They don't. You, so you get six, <laughs> throw them at the six legs, and you win. What is there not to understand? Fire <laughs> 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 so- squad! It's a knife in a nuke fight anyway. All you gotta do is push a button. Sir, cease fire. Chain on that wall, trooper. 
Put your hand on that wall. The enemy cannot push a button if you disable his hand. That's one of my favorite bits, is just like, J Jake is like, look, man, like, I suck at throwing a knife. Why do we gotta throw knives? And Clancy's like, stick your hand on the wall. And he's just like, I know what's coming. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> Can we talk about how Clancy Brown would be in prison right now in real life? <laughs> like... If Clancy Brown was an actual drill instructor, yeah, he'd be court-martialed. The one dude, the, his first day broken arm just because he was like i'm gonna i can take you down after you asked so you were breaking someone's arm regardless who stepped up so that was planned and now you just fucking threw a knife through some guy's hand look man like it's federal reserve <laughs> it's, it's military service mobile infantry <laughs> that guy had it rough the dude he broke his arm the very first day of camp and then gets and shot then in month, the head yeah, like a month later. what a champion he had no shot he had no shot I also love how, like, just the, they, they do this, te uh, like, the boot camp section is some of the funniest shit. I love the like, boot camp section. They're just, they're just, like, they're they're prepping them. They're brutalizing the shit out of these poor guys, yeah. these poor people, just brutalizing them, making them miserable, and they're training them with, like, laser tag sessions yeah. and capture the flag games, and, like, somebody gets killed because, like, this laser, like, these plastic laser goons are popping out, and they're practicing fighting with them all to go to the arachnid planet and get mauled to death by monsters that are basically immune to every tactic they learned in boot yeah. camp <laughs> it's like do you know how many bullets it took down to take one arachnid? a clip and a half yeah. a clip and a half to kill one <laughs> but that kind of like i feel like that's good in a way though because it's like it kind of just shows, like, even how our military is. Like, we train you guys. We're considered the best military in the world. Then we go somewhere where we don't know where we are, like Vietnam, for instance. And they fight so different than what we were training, yep. and we lose. <laughs> yeah. And then it even shows, like, when they go there, crazy amount of people die, and then everyone retreats. And that's it. And they're yeah. just like, oh, what the fuck? It's Like, they have mini nukes in their back pocket at the end yeah. of the fucking movie they show off like that we have weapons yeah. and they have a mini nuke gun and they're just like nah use these ineffective machine guns on yeah. these do it well that's my favorite it's like this movie like i read it takes place in 2179 ah yes and they're still using machine guns they're still using regular whips well not still <laughs> they started punishment. using regular whips <laughs> as punishment for one of your squad mates dying it's like, how is it not like a laser whip at that point? You know what I'm saying? Like, is is corporal or punishment? Or just like something else? Like it's fucking in 2179. We're just using Indiana Jones fucking whip he left around. Like, what the fuck are we doing? Bite down on this kid. Uh, oh, relieve the pain. I promise. <laughs> and that's where Dean Norris shows up. Who shows up for five yes. minutes? Hank from Breaking Bad. Those boot camp scenes are so wild. All the training missions are so wild. And it's all like fantasizing like how great it is to be a part of the mobile infantry, how great it is to be a part of like the Federal Reserve and working for the, the, the government. And 
Then you get to, like, the invasion of Clan Daku, and the reality sets in, where it's like, oh, no, you're... You're just there to die. You were you were running into a meat grinder. Yeah. <laughs> Literal meat grinder. It's very similar to like uh Full Metal Jacket in that way. Where it's like Full Metal Jacket, they're in the boot camp and it's rough and obviously like that and like they're doing that and then it all changes when Joker kills himself. Or not Joker. It's Vincent like Donofrio kills himself. It's like the way that I would the way I would um describe it is like if Everything leading up to the Klandaku fight is like, uh, like the Dirty Dozen or like those early like seventies. We're going to war. War is gonna be great. We're gonna we're gonna save the country. It's gonna be awesome. And then they get to Klandaku and it's Saving Private Ryan. (laughs) Saving Private Ryan, but worse. (laughs) They are just massacred. And so the ineffectual weapons. The, the expectation to reality stuff, like a lot of those guys who, who are just going in like, we're going to fight, we're going to do it, we're going to, yeah, we're tough, we're going to murder them. And how so many of them instantly go into child mode once they get to the reality of like, oh, no, we're, these, these arachnids are going to murder us. <laughs> they just go into flight mode immediately. Like, all of this stuff is just subtle satire from Verhoeven. All of yeah, these it's all things. genius things that, like, in different movies would be revered. That, that, like, well, like, in, in a different movie, in a different yeah. year, in a different setting. Like, even another, but, like, I think if this movie was made in, like, the late 2000s by, like, Neil Blomkamp, this could have been a f- fucking a ridiculously Oscar nominated movie. It was nominated for an Oscar, but I don't even I don't even think it would be Oscar nominated. I would definitely say that Verhoeven like- is the type of director that is right for this. I think the only other person that would come out of this that would make something like this that would be equal would be somebody like James Gunn. I can see that. Yeah. James Gunn would make something as insane as this, and it would be amazing. It'd be yeah. fun, and it's and it's. Well, I think it all comes down to like how you said he wanted these fucking horrible acting he wanted he wanted these like these these tv actors to to play up the propaganda that he's building he was making an artificial propaganda movie but he was also simultaneously showing the audience the reality the horrors of war and you also see it in like almost satirically the the almost the exaggerated brutality <laughs> that goes on that is very Verhoeven. It's very Verhoeven. Just like scenes where they go to the outpost and they're just the the people are just getting burned alive yeah. by the big bug or like the flying monsters coming in just swooping down cutting people. Like it's stuff like that where it's like it's so over the top I don't and like extreme. I call them the monsters cuz they're the fucking heroes of the movie where the villains. We're the- That's <laughs> what I love about this movie. It's like it's so clear that we're actually the villains. <laughs> like yeah. it's so clear. Oh, it is so And I think that it's part of like how great it is he is is like we're rooting for these people even though we we know they're the villains. Well, obviously, because we're human, and he picked. Well, I mean, I think in the in the novel, it's bugs, also, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's it's bugs, and also there's actually more alien races, yeah. but the enemies are the arachnids. Yeah. yeah. So like, it's bugs, which everyone fears and hates. Yes, everyone does. Everyone hates them. They're terrible. Yeah. I'll agree and you for pick communism. These. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, in, in general, people don't like bugs. It's like it's a perfect villain to pick. But what's these are just people that like these are just bugs that were like getting invaded on and they're yeah. just defending their home. 
defending their territory. Yeah. One of my favorite one of my favorite little like quiet moments, like not really like a big moment, but like once they get to the outpost planet. I forget what planet it, the name was. Not Klandaku, mm. the other one. And Sugar Watkins. <laughs> yeah. Who's played by I need to pull out the actor's name, Seth Gilliam. Yeah. Who I know as uh, Corporal Hughes from Oz, which is I've one of Oz, I've heard it's great. It's one of my favorite television shows. He plays, um, he plays like that. the son of like the warden's best friend who got murdered back when they were both uh, prison yeah. guards, and he takes him in, and basically he just loses his mind and <laughs> causes a mini riot. Yeah, no, Seth Gilliam plays Sugar Watkins, who's like this, like desensitized he's kind of like the lead roughneck because after the clandaku invasion and everyone from their boot camp is murdered rico johnny rico diz and ace played by jake Busey, fucking jake Busey. (laughs) i love jake Busey in this way i'm such a jake Busey stan after this movie you have no idea dude uh well i have a fun fact i even wrote in my my notes i was like jake Busey deserves more run in hollywood i have a fun fact for you about jake Busey. Uh, if we can go back to the boot camp sequences, um, he actually caused a full week of production to stop because he suffered from heat stroke. That's why I love Jake Busey. <laughs> he had a heat stroke accident, and so they were done for a week, and at, when he got back on set, every one of his wardrobes on set when they're shooting outside in the desert has, like, mini holes in it so he doesn't overheat and doesn't oversweat. You don't notice it in the film. Yeah. But... Yeah, no. Jake Busey, I might as well just get to Ace. Well, then we'll get to the small moment. <laughs> you got some guts for a rich kid. I guess you and me could be buddies. What do you say? I'm honored. Hey! Of course you are. Everybody should have a friend like me. Come on, Ace. Back of the line. Yeah, back of the line. Back, 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 right, back. Nice. back. Yeah. Woohoo! Oh, jerk, man. Tough guy. Woo. Hey, Rick, want to sit together? No thanks, Diz. What's your malfunction, Rico? You see the pickiest of you farmer are. hicks on the face Who, of the in planet. In my opinion, <laughs> is the best, one of the best written characters in the movie. Because he has a great character arc where it's like you hate the guy at first, and then as soon as uh, Denise Richards breaks up with Rico, you're like, oh, this guy actually just guy that cares about people. I don't interpret Ace in the way where it's like you hate him at first and then you grow to like him. Well, he's I think... like the 80s, 90s, like high school villain that you just don't like him because he's like the bully kind of what i think it is is that it's very much verhoven's take on like goose from top gun okay it's his takeoff on that where like in top gun goose is the wacky best friend to tom cruise who well, that's why i think goose would be perfect <laughs> <laughs> who's be like perfect oh he's so adorable and great and here ace is an idiot He's just an idiot, and well, one of the first infantry. scenes you yeah one of the uh, first scenes you walk into him with he he's like I'm cutting in line. Everyone gets their fair share, and everyone's like get in the back of the line, asshole. He's yeah. like Nah, fuck you. Johnny Rico goes, buddy, back of the line, and instead of going in the back of the line, he's like, No, we're gonna be best friends, man. You know I like you. Yeah. You you got balls of steel. I really enjoy you, man. Here, have some slop. You're my good friend, man. And they just become best friends. And it's like the guy who like is he's he's yeah, he's like a cool dude, but like he's more or less just like he is a bully dickhead 
who only likes Rico because Rico is... Stepped up to him. Yeah, yeah. Rico's a bully, and then they become best buddies. Yeah. Well, no. Well, Rico still was not a fan of him for a while, and then I think that's he the... gets broken up with, and the first person that comes up to him is just like, dude, you became squad leader all by yourself. And it's like he did like that, even though he did become squad leader all by himself. Yeah. Dizzy helped with that. I... But he's still like, it's like... it. Yeah, he. You're right. He can be a bully, but he's also like he has that good guy in him. Yeah, which is like that's a like a, for this movie at least a complex character. Yeah, fair. You know, like I that. Mean, which I was like, it had a little bit of character arc. Not many of the characters have an arc in this. I feel like. Which I feel is the point. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like is the. It's very much sudden stops, especially yeah. during that um that coed shower scene. Uh, which I might, we might as well get to this. Scene. So there is a legend. There is a legend. I know that exactly what you're talking about. The scene wasn't going to happen, and this is proven fact now. This was first a rumor for years, and now it's like legit true because Verhoeven's confirmed it, Casper Van Diem's confirmed it. Apparently, a lot of the actors and actresses, specifically a lot of the, the the female actors, they were not comfortable with any nudity. They were not comfortable with doing the nude scene, specifically the co-ed nude scene. So Verhoeven and the cinematographer decide, you know what? Fuck it. We're just going to get nude yeah. with you guys. And they shot the whole scene naked. Yeah. Well, I was reading, it was uh, Dizzy. Like her, I don't even know her actor. Her uh, Dina name. Myers. Dina Myers. Okay. So she apparently, uh, before he even said to them, it's like, what's the big deal, guys? Like, you guys are actors. What's the big deal? And she goes, well, if it's not such a big deal, why aren't you naked? And that's when he just took off his clothes. <laughs> and I was like, that's dope, bro. That's... That's such a bolder move. That's, like you, you have so much confidence in yourself to do that. Like I would have like backtracked European a little thing. bit until I was like, all right, yeah, you're right. It's a very it. European thing that they're just like, oh, nudity. What's nudity? I think that's more of nudity. just like fucking that big dick energy, well, fucking kind of thing. Like, well, yeah, Verhoeven's Verhoeven said later. I wish I had the quote on me, but he said later in interviews that like I don't understand America's fear of nudity but their love of violence like if you're so comfortable with violence and yet so repelled by nudity like in Europe we don't care it's actually the opposite we'd rather be naked than see someone get brutalized so and that's like that's why our country sucks and that's yeah, and that's yes and that's why our country's trash and we're growing up <laughs> we we're especially like back in the day but now it's probably a little more like in the south more than is other places i guess other places too we're built on people like going out hunting and then joining the military and the other the puritanical fucking values of being in the south and shit where you're free baptists and shit like that where you're so against nudity and sex before marriage and shit like that but you're like oh yeah go hunt that fucking deer in the woods like all that shit it's like it all kind of that's the reason why we're like this because they're raised that way and i hate that we're fucking raised that way oh yeah no totally it's it's the it's the reality of like some people have made the claim that um verhoven was making a nice critique of not necessarily our modern society but very much so what our society could lead to uh, sure. There's a lot of there's a lot of theories too that like Starship Troopers takes place in an, in an age where the Nazis won World War II and took over, um, that has been denied countlessly. But Verhoeven's critique has very much a lot of a lot of critics now. We'll get to the critics who thought about the movie back in 1997 yeah. a little bit later. But um, a lot of the critics now were very much like, oh. It's, this is very telling of modern American society. Very militaristic pushed. 
We haven't talked about Michael Ironside. I want to talk about Michael Ironside. Right. He's my favorite character in this movie. <laughs> he is the best. Roughnecks killed more bugs than any other outfit on Big Bang. Yeah, well, I hear their lieutenant's a real nutbuster. Who's top kick? You want the job, huh? I wouldn't mind. I would. Just doing my part. Orders. Yours? Where you been besides Big K? Outer Ring, Zegama Beach. Zegama Beach. I always wanted to go there. Good luck. It's not there anymore. So I hear your lieutenant's real nutbuster. No one talks about the lieutenant that way. You saved my life. Mine too. Same for me. Me too. Well, sounds like he's quite a guy. Who do you think saved your ass? Stand by. Attention on deck! This is for you new people. I only have one rule. Everyone fights, no one quits. Don't do your job, I'll shoot you. You get me. We get you, sir! Welcome to the Roughnecks. Ratchets, Roughnecks! At ease, listen up! Roughnecks and Michael Ironside. I I love Michael Ironside as an actor. Um, I you ever see the movie Scanners? No, I you don't might think like so. Scanners. It Probably. is it's a horror movie about psychics. <laughs> and Michael Speaking Ironside. Speaking of psychics, Timothy Amundsen fucking, fucking randomly. Damn it. <laughs> I will get. There's so many things in this movie. You can't talk about just uh, one thing. Well, I mean, speaking of psychics, um, they have the random Carl. commercial out of nowhere, dude. Are, are you a psychic? Yeah. Then you might be. If you love psych, you're like, oh my god. Or if you saw the movie Luck of the Irish on Disney Channel when you were a kid, you're like, oh my god, it's him. It's him. Yeah, I, I know. It's it's wild. <laughs> but um, that's the sort of thing that Carl did that would lead to them being like the leaders of the Gestapo members, yeah. which is telling. Uh, but uh, it's, it's also very like very commentary on the Nazis because the Nazis were very big into uh, pseudosciences. Uh, astro- uh, astrology and stuff. So, uh, of course, they base a whole branch's, like, job description off of psychic warfare yeah. and stuff that probably doesn't exist. <laughs> like, it's it's all, like, kind of pseudoscience yeah. Like, the ending where... We'll get to the ending. But the ending, for instance, it's, like... These motherfuckers aren't psychic. You just are reading body language. Yeah. <laughs> There's that stuff... Where was I? Yeah. Michael Ironside. Ironside. My favorite scene in this movie is unironically the opening sequence of this film. <laughs> it's, it is my favorite scene in the film where outside, after they do the Triumph of the Wills like montage thing, they cut to a classroom where Michael Ironside is having a lecture about why violence is the only way of, of living and why violence is the right way of living and why we need to live in a violent, brutal society, period. And it is one of the greatest scenes Rico. in this movie. Rico! Pay attention. Sorry, Mr. Ratchet. 
Let's sum up. This year we explored the failure of democracy, while the social scientists brought our world to the brink of chaos. We talked about the veterans, how they took control and imposed the stability that has lasted for generations since. You know these facts, but have I taught you anything of value this year? Hmm? You, why are only citizens allowed to vote? It's a reward. What the Federation gives you for doing federal service. No. No. Something given has no value. Look, when you vote, you are exercising political authority. You're using force. And force, my friends, is violence. The supreme authority from which all other authority is derived. Uh, my mother always said violence never solves anything. Really? I wonder what the city fathers of Hiroshima would say about that. You. They probably wouldn't say anything. Hiroshima was destroyed. Correct. Naked force has resolved more issues throughout history than any other factor. The contrary opinion, that violence never solves anything, is wishful thinking at its worst. People who forget that always pay. Rico, what's the moral difference, if any, between a civilian and a citizen? A citizen accepts personal responsibility for the safety of the body politic, defending it with his life. A civilian does not. The exact words of the text. But do you understand it? Do you believe it? I don't know. Of course you don't. I doubt anyone here would recognize civic virtue if it reached up and bit you in the ass. And it sort of gets to you, like, number one, that Michael Ironside, little bit, little bit, like, he's, he's he seems like he's just casually just talking to them about history and philosophy. He is missing an arm. Yeah. So he's having his stump touch, like, and point at people. And Denise Richards just on her shoulder. As, as she recites, oh, the people of Hiroshima wouldn't have anything to say seeing how we blew them all up. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, very good. You're right. We did blow them up. You want to know why? Because violence works. Yeah. Violence solves the world's problems. I also love how, like, how funny this movie is. Like, it's clearly a World War II satire specifically. But, like, it's supposed to take place in 2179. Yep. And he just brings up Hiroshima out of nowhere. <laughs> Something that happened in, what, 41 it was when that happened? Yep. So it's over 100 years ago, 130 years ago. And off the top of the head, she knew exactly what he was referring to. Oh, yeah. Like, you have, yeah, it's centuries of history. And yeah. now nah, let's bring up what happened in 1945. <laughs> the poor Japanese. <laughs> um, but he shows up later as the leader of the Roughnecks. And in the first half, he seems like this benevolent, like, like he seems like a little bit, oh, join the military, but, still, like, violence is good. But he's also like, Rico, just think about yourself. Like, don't do the right thing. You'll yeah. figure out what the right thing is. He's kind of needling him because he's a propagandist. Yeah. But he's, you know, he's all right. And then he shows up later as the leader of the Roughnecks. And they, <laughs> the Roughnecks are just, like, the Green Berets. They are just, like, they're operators. Yeah. They are fucking... We murder bugs. We only murder bugs. If you don't murder bug, we're going to kill you, you pussy bitch. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. What's up, guys? <laughs> and he runs this crew. And he is cutthroat. Fucking cutthroat. There's the sequence where they're walking through the caverns in the the planet that's not Klandaku. I don't know the name of it. And, like, his second-in-command gets picked up by the flying bug. Yeah. Gets rectally impaled before getting shot through the heart. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, he's... That's by, one of the most brutal ways this, people die in this movie. By Michael Ironside, just like, 
give me the gun. Pow! And he's just like, not, not even like, I've got to go on. He just shoots him and goes, I wish one of you, if I was in the same situation, you should do the same for me. Rico, you're now squad leader. <laughs> Rico, you're now corporal. <laughs> you're running everything. <laughs> it's like he's just a straight-laced, straight-faced, hard motherfucker. He even has, like, the scar on his face. Like, he's just evil. Evil, yeah. but, like, it's it's sort of like this evil that in the movie is played up as heroism. Yeah. And it's it's so wacky. He's a necessary evil in a lot of ways. He's treated, he's treated like, yeah, he's treated like the, the evil that he inherently feels is very much evil that wasn't necessarily there, but it was bred into him. But he ends up getting... T- his lower half eaten and says one of my favorite lines in the movie Rico you know what to do (laughs) yes sir pow and just kills him and so they go to this outpost the outpost is an ambush because they find out there's a brain bug or a bug that sucks people's brains out and controls them uh, and so they were using it as an ambush trap to get more soldiers in because, you know, these bugs are intelligent motherfuckers. And they go off and they do their thing. And th- they're doing this giant siege fight. Uh, Michael Ironside gets killed. Half of the roughneck, all, like all of the roughnecks are killed. Dizzy, after she gets her man. As she gets some dick. After she gets the dick by Rico. She gets the love of her life. The reason she signed up. Gets impaled four times. (laughs) Just dies in Rico's arms saying, I... I at least die knowing that I have you. And Rico doesn't even have the heart to say I love you. Doesn't even have the heart. Because he didn't. He was just like, you were just some pussy. Which is a part of the tragic love story that's dynamic. that's why Rico is so cool. It's, no, Rico is not cool. Mike, you're not supposed to like Rico. I love Rico, man. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Rico's my boy. A part of that same sequence, though, one of my favorite quiet scenes, and I guess we can just get to the aliens and the arachnids and the the, the weird things before we just close out and get to the box office because we've been talking about this for almost two hours, I feel. One of the best quiet sequences is uh, Sugar Watkins, played by Seth Gilman. They're walking about, and he's kind of like the desensitized, like second-in-command of the Roughnecks. And... They get this arachnid show up, and he shoots at the arachnid, crippling it, walks up, and you get a shot of the arachnid's eyeball. And you see the fear in this arachnid's eye of, like, what? what? Like, the human It's, like, not, like, a morphed alien yeah. eye. It's a human eye. And it's looking up just, like, please. And Sugar Watkins eradicates the fucking bug's existence covered it like just empties a clip into this thing that basically was dead then looks over at Dizzy much to look at after you scrape them off your boot. Bug hole. There. It's so... So fucked. How do you give every theme of this movie <laughs> in a scene? 
how do you tell the entire movie in one scene that? <laughs> it's insane. And and it's uh, the outpost fight is great. Him him later on having his like last stand fight when he gets clawed in the stomach, oh, he's yeah. like, I'm gonna take the nuke, fuck these bastards, fuck you, fuck you, and just blows up with them. That whole sequence later on. Dizzy gets killed, gets stabbed 57 times. Xander and Carmen, who escape their ship that's falling apart because God knows they're war, they crash land and they get taken in by the arachnids and they get kidnapped and brought to the brain bug. And the brain bug just goes up to Xander. Xander's like, we are going to kill all of you, you bastard scum. And gets his brain sucked out of his head. The most brutal way I've ever seen anyone die in any movie of all time, I think. Really? I don't know. I think it's just because I just don't like bugs. Like, this, like the bugs in this movie are my nightmare. Yeah? Like, straight up. Like, that, like, and that's why I think I, like, this movie stuck with me so hard when I saw it the first time because I was like, (laughs) holy shit. This is, like, the worst thing I would ever want to see, like, in real life. Just think about just, like, a bug, like a mosquito. Just biting you, chucking out your brains. Yep. Like, that, that <laughs> yep. shit would be terrifying. Absolutely. And that's why I think that's so brutal. Yes. That, that, that death. Yes. It's, it's, it's gross. I mean, I've seen enough Italian exploitation to be desensitized to yeah. everything in this well, I mean, film. Mafia kills are different than this, but. Oh, oh no, no, no. I'm t- not talking about, like, mob movies. I'm talking, like, Return of the Living Dead, oh, like. Yeah. City of the Living Dead scenes where like guys' heads get cut in half and like just, just I don't know why gruesome so brutal shit. Place. Like it's Italian horror is fucked. But um, I've been desensitized to be like, this is fun. Like and also too the way that Verhoeven shoots this movie and most of his movies, he's like he makes violence fun. Yeah, that's that's a part of his. This charm. movie is so <laughs> incredibly well directed in terms of just like the the shots that he gets yeah. and things. It's insane. Like even like when Rico meets the guy that ends up work being on CSI. Yeah. Like when they show him looking at the guy's legs and stuff, and it's like it's so framing. Like, framing was it really frames nice. Frames the yeah. whole movie for you and says like like the theme of the movie. Mobile right infantry. There. Mobile infantry turned me into the man I am today. Yeah. Shows that he has no legs. Exactly. <laughs> and that's that's also the nice subtle theme that like. All of the adults in authority that were all military service members all are horribly fucking disfigured. It makes you think, how does anyone vote? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I don't think anyone does. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't think anyone does. I think the, the idea of it is that, like, yeah, you get the right to vote and you be considered a citizen, but what does that mean mm. at the end of the day? And it also just goes into, like... You get into stuff like the 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 end, the final raid on the planet, where after Michael Ironside gets shot in the chest, Rico is now the leader of the Roughnecks. Also, too, <laughs> before that, the the Neil Patrick Harris scene when after he goes away and he he's like, oh man, hey, I'm a smart guy. You're an idiot, yeah. Rico. Ha <laughs> ha. Comes back in a Gestapo uniform and just straight up tells Rico, yeah. I'm, I didn't know it was your men down there. Um, yeah, that was my fault. And Rico's like, no, that's fair. Mobile infantry is made to be meat grind fuel. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's just, he's very much, he's, he's just cold about it. He's yeah. like, look, 
you were my best friend in high school. He wasn't even like, you're my best friend in high school. It's like, look, there's a brain bug down there. That's like, we need to get the brain bug. And it's it's almost as if like, they, they're they not even friends anymore. Like none of them are really friends anymore. They, and it's only a year later. It's one year later, and it's like it's Rico is a desensitized murder monster. Carmen is a desensitized war pilot who who also hates the bugs, and Carl is a member of the elite Gestapo. (laughs) And they're all just like they all have their roles, and Carl knows that like he's a grunt and an idiot. And he just is kind of subtly telling him, like, like, yeah, you're you're probably gonna die down there. And like the, the 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 roughnecks need a new leader, and Rico's like, Ironside tells him when he levels up to being squad leader that you're squad leader until you die or I find somebody better. Mm-hmm. And when Carl tells this to Rico, Rico's like, well, I'll take the mantle until I die and you find somebody better. And Carl just smiles at him. Like, that's a normal thing to say to someone. So fucked. <laughs> because they're, they lost their humanity. No, yeah, they're so desensitized by everything. They're so desensitized. They, they, they are the evil empire. Yeah. And so they go down and they go into the invasion and you get to see the real, like, effects of this military like this military service where they go down and Rico's like alright time to run the roughnecks and even though 98% of them are dead let's see what the roughnecks and it's made up of elderly men and children and he's like they're, they're like kids and he's laughing to ace like these guys are kids he's like yeah they just got out of boot camp they were running out of recruits and they're laughing about it (laughs) they're laughing about it well even like in the propaganda when they show the fucking they have the kids and they're like does anyone want to play with the automatic machine gun and they fucking hand them a fucking machine gun and i'm just like what is going on or one of the one of the most famous clips from the thing the the opening where it's like uh, are you willing to do your part i'm yeah. doing my part i'm doing my part and this kid like i'm doing my part too yeah. ha 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 you're you're adorable it's it's the it's the the society that they live in it's why it's tripping but at the end of the movie after this giant raid sugar watkins is dead xander's dead dizzy's dead and the two most shallow human beings who used to be lovers are now back together. They, I don't, they, they, I don't think they kiss. I think, no, they do kiss. Do they kiss? I don't even remember. I think she just, she looks back when the building crumbles. She looks back at like where her dead lover is. And then they get outside and all this, like the pain and and horror just runs into, we caught the brain bug. Zim caught the brain bug. Clancy Brown. What's it thinking, Colonel? clips in the movie um they get to the end they pull out the brain bug who is frightened 
He is terrified. He is scared shitless. And they drag it out. And they're like, they bring Carl over. Carl, the leader of the Gestapo. And <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris, Dookie Himmler. And they go up to him. And they go up to the brain bug. He touches the brain bug. And they're like, what is he thinking? And he just sees it cower. And he's like, it's afraid. It's afraid. And everyone cheers. <laughs> Everyone's excited. Yay. Totalitarianism. <laughs> God. Another movie. Another scene from a movie that sums up the entire two-hour film in a minute and a half. Like, I feel like if you put that scene and the scene... Uh... With uh, sugar, whatever, when he kills the bug. When he eradicates it. Those two scenes, and you just had the guy yell, the only good bug is a dead bug at the end of it, is a perfect trailer for this movie. <laughs> like, literally the perfect trailer for well, this you movie. Well, you could, yeah, you could also do, uh, well, the, 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 the quickest summary is uh, have the intro of Johnny Rico in class, yeah. having uh, Raznick be like, but do you understand it, son? And... Johnny Rico's like, I don't know. Smash cut to, come on, you bastards! Don't you want to live forever? <laughs> Done. You summed up the movie in a very quick yeah. amount of time. <laughs> so, Starship Troopers gets released November 8th, 1997. And this is, I think, the first time I've ever had this happen in the podcast. It debuts at number one. <laughs> it wrecks the box office. It beats out. Uh, we've got... Uh, Devil's Advocate on there. We got a film called The Peacemaker. I think it was one of the last weeks of Men in Black being in the in the top five. Starship Troopers beat all of them out. It made like eight million on its first week. Problem was, audiences saw it and didn't understand the joke. <laughs> and they were and usually like the way it worked back then was like you told your friend like oh you got to go see that movie. No one was doing that except the stoners. <laughs> well, well, no, no, no. The the issue was people were talking about the movie in a bad way. They were saying, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> they they it, it's like as as comics, we know when a joke doesn't land. Yeah. <laughs> and it it ends up burning a lot of bridges and ruining a lot of people's careers and whatnot. Verhoeven went through that with Starship Troopers, where he said a two-hour joke no one got and everyone took seriously. It was viewed like a tilted cone set. <laughs> That's That's some inside baseball right there. And in like 15 years, tilted cone's going to be having his Comedy Central special release. And <laughs> people will be like, oh, wow, he's a genius. God damn. But th there were so many people at the time who just resented the film and said that, like, Verhoeven basically made Nazi propaganda. Just like Delta Cone. Not under... <laughs> you know I gotta bleep out his name, right? No, you don't. <laughs> no, I got... God damn it. <laughs> Even if he listens to it, he's gonna be like, oh, they said my name. Oh, he's like, oh, hey, what's up? Okay. And then he drop an end bomb. <laughs> and it's just, ah, oh, jeez. <laughs> Yeah, no, a lot of critics at the time uh, were very critical of Starship Troopers, uh, specifically the Washington Post and the New York Times. The New York Times had a very interesting story and a very interesting um, campaign that they pulled um, where they bought a thousand tickets to the movie Bean, which is the Mr. Bean movie. Oh, okay. You know, Mr. Bean, yeah, Rowan Atkinson. They bought a thousand tickets handed it to kids 
and said, okay, now go see Starship Troopers. <laughs> go in, sneak in, and go see Starship Troopers. And then tell us what you thought of it or how violent it is. And a lot of a lot of people found out about the story and Casper Van Dien and Verhoeven sort of say now that like they believe if the movie was PG-13, they would have made a ton of money because so many kids were like, yeah, we're yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Bugs, violence, death. Woo. Hell yeah. I don't know if it would have made that much money PG-13 even. I mean, uh, well, yeah, like... They made a lot of their movie off that shower scene, I think. I <laughs> made a lot of their money off the shower scene? God. Actually, they made a lot of their money of selling all the extra fucking armor that they had to fucking Power Rangers. That's where they made most of their money. Look that up. That's a fact. <laughs> That's true. That is true. <laughs> uh, the budget for the film was a hundred and... Five million dollars. That's now money. So, yeah. like at the time, it's closer to like maybe eighty million or so. Um, hundred and five million dollars, which means that they had to make two hundred and ten to make the, to break the, even. Yeah. <laughs> Domestically, the first weekend they were set to be like, all right, we're gonna make money. We're gonna be gangbusters. After all the negative press, after all of the people thinking that it was Nazi propaganda, they fell off the next week. And then throughout their whole, like, line, like, yeah, they were number one for a few weeks, but they were making, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars instead of millions. Back then, you didn't make a lot of money unless you're Titanic in the box office. Well, that's also, too, like, 97 Titanic was also released. Uh, Men in Black was also released at the same time. Huge fucking movie. Titanic is one of the two or three biggest movies of all time. Yes. And then it's fucking Men in Black. Yes. It was huge, too. Titanic, critics not understanding it. I blame it on 90s critics. 90s critics ruined that movie. Kind of ironic that like the one time James Cameron didn't do sci-fi, he made the biggest movie in the world. He was signed up to do this film. It, it he, was makes a- it, he would have been perfect, but it wouldn't have came out to like 2007 because he takes 30 years. To <laughs> I don't know. He would have just he would have just been like, oh, aliens with CGI. All right, I'm in. That's easy. I did that before. <laughs> no, yeah, but do you know how long it took him to make Avatar one and how long it's making him to make Avatar two? I hope he never makes Avatar. 2. <laughs> it's coming out, I think, next year. God, I think it's supposed to be. Damn it. He's been <laughs> wanting to make this movie for 20 years, but he was waiting for the technology. Same thing with the first one. He wanted to make the first one after T two, and he was. Came out and like, he was what? Oh, eight. Oh, yeah. nine? And he was like, the CGI isn't right for it yet. Like, he's had that script since, like, the early 90s. That's like and he didn't make it to, like, 08 or 09. Why are you even making another sequel to a movie? No. Like, uh, I don't Dude, want to get Dude, it's funny. Up. That movie took over Titanic as the number one box office hit of all time. Yeah. And I only know about ten people that have actually seen that movie. I remember it was huge. It was huge. And people were, like, they love the fucking See, movie. I feel like it was, like, huge maybe, like, with the high school kids. Like, we knew and, like, middle school kids. No one past that went to the movie. No, dude. You got, no, no, like. I don't like, remember. Well, not, I'm not. I remember being a like, big movie. Obviously, it made a ton of money. It made a shit ton but, of money. Like, but, like, have you tried just talking to people and be like, oh, have you seen that? And, like, a lot of people that are older than us have not. Well, that, well, that's well. this is the thing, is that, like, there's a lot of people at the time that watched it, and they were like, oh, my God, it's amazing, it's great. And then, like, eight months later, it was, God fucking damn it. Fuck yeah. this movie eight so later, much. Like, oh, <laughs> Fuck this movie. Pocahontas with CGI. It's, it, people realized, like, this is the, like, because there was so much hype behind it. Yeah. And when it came out, so many 
idiots tried to plug it as like the next great sci-fi well, action movie. James Cameron is a god in that fucking community, essentially. Like, yeah, but like, when was the, the last great movie he made? Was T two? I'm gonna I'm gonna stand I mean, by Avatar that. Is, is a good movie. I'm not. I will value. never. The Avatar is. And Titanic is good. It's just too long. I will. I'll say Titanic is probably one of the best disaster movies of all time. I'll I'll give it that, yeah. and it has the greatest disaster shot on film. True. Like it's it's like it is probably one of the most creative, like in terms of special effects, disaster movies of all time. Probably, Super. I I would I would argue it's probably like top ten greatest like spectacle scenes. Yeah. Like just just on like de- definitely top five. Yeah. Like I I put that the only stuff that would beat it would probably be like the Normandy invasion in Saving Private Ryan. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. And like maybe one other thing, but. I, I can't, I just, I'd have to think. <laughs> I'd have to think really hard. Like, none of the Marvel movies could even top Titanic. Nothing in the last, like, 20 years could top what happened at the end of Titanic. Yeah. Even Avatar, which sucks dick. But, anyway. Uh, we're going on tangents. $54 million domestically. Jesus Christ, that's not even a third. That's barely a third. $121 million worldwide. So it just barely made the budget back. It made the budget back. <laughs> the advertising, all nothing. <laughs> Fucking nothing. They that tech that means like they lost out like eighty million dollars. Oh at least. Like eighty million dollars. Like, it was so funny when they made this movie, they were all probably like, We got Verheven, this is gonna be a huge hit. Because he was just like a hit monster at that point. Verhoeven? Well, yeah. like, no, at the, you gotta remember too, at the time he was just getting off of Showgirls. Yeah, but the, uh, like a lot of people were like, we could still, we, we, like, we think that was the anomaly. You thought, yeah, they thought That's, that. I think a lot of, like, at least the people that were making this movie, they were like, that was the anomaly. Yeah. He did Robocops and Total Recall, which are probably two out of the, maybe top five this top is ten this is his genre this is his thing he needs time. he knows what he's doing he should he should know what he's doing this is his genre like yeah. i i, well, I, I that's why that. i also feel like this if this movie was made in like 85 86 he would have done it a lot better i think he just he just showgirls fucking ruined <laughs> i think that in a lot of ways i definitely think that the late 90s was maybe the worst even I, no 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 no, I think it's probably the best time, like the late '90s into the early 2000s. If if he made it in 2004, it would have been a way different movie. I would way say, more serious. I would say, no, 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 no. He just do make it make it parallels to the to the Iraq War and and use the same tone. Oh, yeah. But I think like, it would it would have been like would how like love it. Like I said, like Neil Blomkamp, how like him, he made District Nine. Yeah, it would have felt a lot like that. Where was, there's some humor to it, so there's still dark humor in there. Yeah. But it was a very serious movie in tone. Well, yeah, District overall. Nine. District Nine's a whole different beast. District Nine is is well. First off, it was commenting on apartheid, which is which is kind of wild because I feel like <laughs> it's a heavy topic. No one yeah. wants to talk about it. It's a heavy topic. <laughs> but like, if you don't realize it's commenting on it, I feel like you don't really get that. Yeah. Sometimes, like you have to like be told, and you're like, oh, I get it now. It's one. It's one thing to make fun of the Nazis, and it's one thing to make yeah. fun of totalitarian governments. It's another thing to be like, "Hey, you know what's funny? South African racism." Yeah. <laughs> but that's what I mean. Like, if if it was made around that time, it probably would have had a similar feel to like how that felt in terms of because that was like the style of sci-fi at that point. I think if anything, if I think if anything, it would be like it would be very similar, to like Jarhead. Stand again. Uh, 
I, we're almost there. We're almost there. I know. We're almost there. We're oh, getting Jar- to the that's end. That's another good example. Jarhead, it's, like, would have been, which is also a serious movie. Yeah, but it's it's a serious movie about like soldiers' lives and how boring it really is to oh, be yeah. in Iraq. You know how like you're you're like seeing combat once every four months. <laughs> And so, like that, I could see that being a thing. Um, what I'm saying is, it's, it's it would be a lot less like the campy dark humor that he is so known for. If it was yeah. made then, and I think it would have been received differently, and it would have been received better because of that. I could, I could, I mean, I could. And then see in that. the '80s, I think he would have leaned even more into it. And I think it would have been well received because of that. I think, yeah, if, if it was, <laughs> you know, the... like it just, it, I think in that time period, like his style of filmmaking, it just that's not what they wanted in the '90s. If somebody, I, uh, I, the, I don't know. I disagree. I think it's, it's a mixture of he's coming off of Showgirls. People are very much resentful of like, all right, he's already in a bad mood. He's already bad luck. He tried to do like the romantic, like the erotic thriller thing, yeah. wasn't working out. He goes back to something he's more comfortable with. You have a insane budget. <laughs> an insane budget and he's practicing with like new technology at the time but more so and, and which holds up extremely well uh, surprisingly like, they probably should have won the Oscar they were nominated that year they should have won the Oscar for the special effects surprisingly so it still holds yeah. up I was saw I one of the few films I have on Blu-ray just because yeah. the special effects are so good like and like you could have told me that was a TV show in like 2012, and I've been like, okay, yeah, that, I can see that, because it was like the special effects like for the time were outrageous, but now we're just like real like solid special effects that like I would watch like like do you ever watch the show Falling Skies or even Doctor Who? Yeah, like it has that style of special effects in '97. Yeah. I, I just, I definitely believe, like, the biggest contributing factor go, boils down to it's the same way when, like, a comic does a really, like, really risky joke and no one gets it. He made a very risky joke. Yeah. He made a very risky two-hour joke and nobody got it. And it wasn't until decades later in, like, 2010 because even in the 2000s, people were like, oh, Starship Troopers, it's that bug movie. Uh, like, people saw, like, it grew a cult following, but it grew a cult following because of the violence and because of the, like, oh, I remember the bug movie. I saw the bug movie when I was a kid. And now, I think around, like, the 2010s, 2010s was when people were like, oh, this is really good social commentary. <laughs> open it up let's say 20 years later when the world gets a little darker you go yeah you know actually yeah i think the bugs are a euphemism for communism i think that's the (laughs) that's the thing (laughs) ah thank you paul Alright, credits time! This episode of Bombed is produced, edited, and released by yours truly, Liam Wolf. That awesome intro track that you hear every single week is done by my good friend Jacob O'Brien. You can follow him at 
Vaulted Tadpole over on Twitch and YouTube for more music and video game live streams if you're into that. Joe McAndrew has done that awesome podcast art that you see each week. You can follow him at JoeMCArt or JoeMCShutUp on Instagram. And of course, I'd like to thank all of you for sitting down and listening to this, whether it's on Anchor, Apple Podcast, Spotify, SoundCloud, wherever podcasts are held hostage. Thank you, and please send a like, share it to your friends, send us a review, even comment underneath if you want to say that we're idiots that don't know what we're talking about, or that I'm an idiot that doesn't know what I'm talking about. Any criticism helps produce and build this podcast beyond the mild constraints that we're at right now, so thank you for your honest-to-God support. All right, this week's guest on the podcast was the other half of the Better Off Drunk podcast, none other than Mike Loro. You could follow him over on Mike Loro Comedy on Instagram, as well as follow the Better Off Drunk Instagram and YouTube page. I'll probably put links down in the description below. They make a little fun podcast where comedians come on, play some drinking games, get shit-faced, talk shop, have a good old-fashioned hullabaloo. It's a fun time. Unlike next week's episode, which I will say, for the record, unironically, is probably the worst movie I've done for the podcast so far. This is a film about scandal, a film about betrayal, backstabbing, and it's a film about soccer? Huh. This is gonna be weird. We're talking about FIFA's propaganda movie, United Passions, next week on Bomb, so stay tuned for that. Anyway, adios, amigo. Um, That's from above!